You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you, good morning, and welcome to the Voice of Islam and to the weekend world. Uh, it is uh, Sunday the 13th of August 2023, and the time is coming up to 10 minutes past 10. Um, weekend World Show is a current affairs show with the week's news, views, and reviews from a faith and non-faith perspective, promoting the message of peace and unity, discussing religion, politics, sports, and topics of faith and spirituality, a message of Islam for the rest. Join us and share your views or stories by phoning us on 0208-687-7878. Give that number again. It's 0208-687-7878. Alternatively, you can use a more modern method of communicating and use Twitter. Uh, and our Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. The views on the Weekend World Show are those of the individuals and guests and not of the Amdiya Muslim community uh, necessarily. Like uh, the um, uh, uh, way that we normally start uh, this show uh, is to um, share a quote, uh, some uh, a profound quote if possible, um, and so it is uh, today as well. Um, this is a quote from Arthur Schopenhauer, uh, a 19th century German philosopher often regarded as a pessimistic philosopher. Now, he said, uh, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. Certainly something prophets of God uh, can vouch for, and something certainly the Amdi Muslim community can vouch for. Um, And uh, this is something uh, as... Uh, indicated is experienced by those who are sent by God. Uh, They're very often uh, ridiculed at first, uh, violently opposed, and then accepted as being uh, self-evident and in fact true. Um, If you have any comment on that, then please do share that with us. Uh, As mentioned before, the number is 0208-687-7878. Well, we have uh, another PAC program uh, this morning. And uh, to just uh, whet your appetites as to what we have in store, uh, we will uh, be uh, beginning, um, well, um, uh, the um, news review. Uh, This will be... Uh, with Saf Amadi, uh, we think, to look at some of the week's top news stories, uh, especially with the BB Stockholm uh, debacle. Uh, also look at, uh, hopefully, the uh, Hawaii fires and the gift that keeps giving uh, that is the Tory party scandals. Uh, this will be followed um, by Faith in Focus segment. We will be looking at uh, some of the features or characteristics of uh, uh, the life of uh, the founder of the Amdimus community, the Promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Uh, some uh, of his characteristics or features, particularly, we'll be looking at his simplicity and uh, his personality that attracted uh, uh, those people to his fold. Just his personality was enough for them. No, no arguments, no discussions, no engagements as such. 
And after the 11 o'clock news, we'll be joined by Sheikh Rahman to talk about the political and religious situation in Pakistan. Um, now with Imran Khan arrested, his name banned on all media. Has, become, has Pakistan become a fascist state? Uh, so that's something that we'll be exploring later on after the 11 o'clock news. And then uh, we will have Ask the Imam segment uh, later on in the course of the program. Daniel Khanon will be joining us uh, for that. And we're looking into some uh, into some of the Islamic teachings when you get confused about like predestination, takdir is another word for it. Is it God's will or own will? And um, and finally, we must not forget that we are in now the football season once again. The Premiership, uh, alas, or at last, started yesterday uh, to the joy of many football fans. Uh, Shahid will be joining us to look at the match awaited by those football fans. Uh, and uh, we'll also be exploring the woes of Pakistan hockey from being the top hockey nation to now, alas, uh, struggling to even qualify for the Olympics twice in succession. Anyway, it's a very thought-provoking show. Uh, so, how are things? Hmm? Thank you very much. Uh, yes, uh, I like a bit about that, uh, what the German philosopher said, that all truth passes through three stages. Hmm. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. But that period of ridicule and uh, violence can sometimes last a long time. Mm. And if you look at Islam today, it is still being ridiculed. And Muslims are being there. Look what happens in Denmark and in Norway and in Sweden, where the burning of the Quran is sort of almost Mm. permitted, I would say. Mm. Uh, But, and... To, to attack Muslims and their beliefs is common ground. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and so that ridicule period is long and it sustains. Yeah. But yeah. the growth of Islam cannot be yes. questioned. It cannot be questioned. It, it's, cannot. it cannot be arrested. It cannot be slowed down. No. Uh, yes. And, and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, as you mentioned mm. uh, as well, uh, are a witness to that because we ourselves are being ridiculed and attacked and in Pakistan laws have been made against mm. us. And yet at this Jalsa, His Holiness Hazrat Mizza Masur Ahmed, the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community of mm. Hazrat Mizza Ghulam Ahmed, uh, said uh, uh, nearly quarter of a million converts to the community. Just Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Mm. I mean, uh, and in light of Suppression, hmm. right? Hmm. Uh, Thirty-three uh, hundred twenty-nine new chapters have opened, mm-hmm. uh, i.e., communities or jamaats, mm. as we call them. Hundred and twenty-nine new mosques. I mean, this is no mean task, no. No. Uh, and and it needs uh, a following for it to happen. So that means the following is growing. Yeah. There's yeah. a need for it, yeah. and I think that philosopher, although he's very, is renowned for pessimism, mm. he certainly is right in this regard. That yes, there is persecution, there is ridicule, and there is violence against it. Mm. But uh, truth ultimately comes through, and yeah. we are, and we are witnesses of that. Yeah, we are witnesses, absolutely. Yeah. Right, as we said, uh, we are back to our uh, first segment of the show, which mm-hmm. is the news review. Um, so we'll have. Uh, our first segment, which is uh, the independent reports that uh, the Bibi Stockholm, this is the barge at, in Dorset, has uh, in Portland, a place where we've been many a time, home office under fresh scrutiny of a migrant barge incompetence. 
The Home Office is facing mounting pressure over its startling incompetence after asylum seekers had to evacuate from the Bibi Stockholm barge following the discovery of Legionella bacteria. Conservative backbenchers have accused the department of overseeing a farce after 39 people who had boarded the vessel were transferred to alternative accommodation on Friday evening. Mm, well, Shadow Immigration Minister Stephen Kinnock also wrote to his opposite number on Saturday asking what the Home Office knew about the risk of the bacteria being present before moving migrants onto the barge. Department officials are understood to have been told by Dorset Council on Wednesday evening about the discovery of initial results indicating that the bacteria was present. But the transfer of a further six migrants onto the barge still went ahead on Thursday. Yes, um, joining us hopefully very shortly will be Saf Hamdi from Oxygen Surrey. Um, I mean, this debacle, Walid, um, has, uh, has <laughs> it astounds me that at government level, mm. we've had the debacle of the Rwanda incident. Yeah. Uh, we've had uh, a scheme which where not a single plane has got off the ground yet, costing several millions of pounds. Costing in, co- in cost and legal battles and against severe protests. But this barge scheme, within hours of the first refugees boarding, have all been removed. So it's uh, deja vu as far as I can see it. Mm. Um, what's the government up to? What do you think? Well, they're trying to highlight the fact that they're very serious about these migrants uh, coming over. Mm. They're very serious about immigration and cutting down immigration because they think, (coughs) and I don't think uh, they think uh, wrongly, but they think that it is something that people are really concerned about and is a vote winner. Mm. And this is why I think it was five pledges that uh, Mr. Sunak uh, announced when he became prime minister. One of them was about uh, stopping the boats because it seems to be that um, the boats and the migrants they're carrying yeah. is something that is uh, very visible uh, as a sign of poor immigration policy. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they are able to tackle that, then it will show that they are serious about immigration and cutting down immigration, and they will be able uh, to, uh, to reduce people's fears uh, that flow from uh, so many migrants coming into this country. And, and ultimately, I mean, th- there's a tragedy going on here because mm. the barges is a result of the migrants crossing the the channel. Uh, and we've got to remember that uh, it's not just the channel where the deaths are taking place. They are taking place in the Mediterranean, mm. uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and um, and the number of deaths yes. there are immense. Uh, yeah. Only in June, yes. uh, if you're not mistaken, I think nearly 100 people or more than 100 people died, many of them Pakistanis. Oh, yes. Yeah, yes, that yeah, was in June. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think we'll, we've got Saf on, uh, online with us now. Okay. Uh, as Saf. Welcome, how are you? Yeah, sorry to uh, delay in getting you connected. I think we had some That's technical right. issues. Uh, we were just discussing about uh, what's happening with uh, the baby Stockholm. It seemed mm. like quite farcical that... Uh, we had the Rwanda scheme where not a single plane has taken off and it's already cost the taxpayer millions of pounds, not just yeah. in the flight cost, but also other costs as well as legal battles, which are still ongoing. So the cost is rising by the day. And within hours of the first few going on this yeah. preposterous barge that people had, uh, that the government had envisaged to put uh, to put the 
refugees on within hours. Yeah. They're coming off again because there's a legionnaire uh, water issue. Yeah, what, I think, I mean, make, I guess... Yeah, what do you yeah, make of this government, I, of what they're doing? I, I guess if I was talking on behalf of the government, I would say it's teething problems. I think if I was looking at it from outside in, mm. I'd say um, uh, it is absolutely farcical. I think it's uh, it's becoming a little bit of a circus, the way um, this whole migrant issue is being treated. Mm. Um, you know, we've now seen, for example, I mean, this, we've, we've heard the sad news again that, you know, we've had more deaths. Uh, nine the deaths, channel. I think. Six nine deaths. deaths so, nine or six correct. deaths, I can't remember. Within 24 hours, again, uh, crossing crossing the channel. So mm. um, there are, you know, the essentially what the government set out, what uh, this Rishi Sunak government um, uh, pledged at the very beginning that they would stop the boats. I mean, you know, the, the mm. big sort of three letter, three word slogan that has been touted yeah. um, is obviously not happening. Um, all of these, and I actually think the barge itself. Look, I'm I'm actually not against the idea of a barge as a housing thing. You know, like as long as and if they're treated well within within it, of course, absolutely, it's. Uh, it, it, I mean, you know, you can say that it's it's worthwhile, but I think they did they have done it specifically for the visuals of it. Um, the visuals of a barge, you know, like standing outside, you know, these people are not being housed. I mean, they're already talking about things like, you know, sending refugees to Ascension Island, which is a small island owned by the British Empire with about 500 people there. Mm. Um, you, these are all, I think, uh, I think um, Waleed was sort of touching upon it uh, earlier on. Mm. The, the, this this all seems to be political. Uh, I would say to a point. This, this is political point scoring. But I, I think I can't see very much more than that, um, and it's becoming very expensive political point scoring. As it well. is, um, but but you say these are teething problems, and and and, and you're hinting. No, that, I, said, that, I, said, I said I said that's what the government. Yeah, no, no, of course, say. no, no, no. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that, that's yeah. what the government's uh, angle would be. Yeah, yeah, but. And you talk about visuals, but my issue with the question with this issue is that is the government not putting proper plans in place? I mean, we're dealing with human lives here, right? They've yeah. closed they've closed the routes for legal ways of people coming in, and there are valid reasons why people want to come to this country. And mm. and and this uh, uh, diatribe that the Tory government put out, which was total rubbish about uh, that they must seek asylum in the first country in which they land, which is totally against United Nations Human mm. Rights Charter. Uh, it's, it's not true, and that, that's a false narrative. Um, mm. People have the right to go to a country because they might have family, because of language issues, and for other reasons. And sometimes yep. we may have a duty. For example, when we invaded uh, Afghanistan and we invaded Iraq, and, mm. and we supported the militants in Syria, for example. The aftermath of that is what this asylum, all these refugees are, are all about, these, these people. Absolutely. Think. And I, I would actually add to that. I mean, you know, one of the big issues why people are moving is actually nowadays is because of climate change, you know, crops, droughts are becoming more things. You're sort of seeing that across Central Africa at the moment, mm. you know, the, the pickup of droughts. That again, I mean, you know, you can start pointing the fing finger at industrialized nations and say, well... Essentially, we're in this position because, you know, you've burnt so much fossil fuel over so much time. And now you're, you know, this is why people are having to move around. So it's, it's, it's our duty to a certain degree that we should be 
um, uh, uh, that we should be housing some. I'm, uh, uh, you know, I again put my cards on the table. I'm actually very pro um, uh, movement. You know, free movement of people around mm. the world. I think is I, I think it's part of humanity's success um, in itself. Britain has um, Britain's success has relied on that from the immigration exactly. that has it is it's allowed in completely. And I, but if you look at the news and if you look at the news stories and this is going sort of through. And actually, you know, when I was when you asked me to sort of. Uh, um, have a look at what was happening this week. If you look across the all of the news um, uh, papers, all of the media, this is taking up so much space, yeah. so much. Uh, th- it is constantly thrust upon us. And actually, if you look at the, the migration issue at the moment, net migration is high, there's no doubt about it, but it's nowhere near sort of our European neighbours. Mm-hmm. It's nowhere near some of the neighbouring countries for where these wars are taking place. I think this is getting a lot of airtime, and um, it's being used now. It's, it's, it's obviously being used to full effect. I think uh, this particular government, we all know what it looks like in the polls. They don't look as if they're, uh, they're, they'll be surviving. I think this is a last-ditch attempt to keep this kind of news running in the story. Uh, sorry, this kind of news uh, running, because it's the one thing that they may be able to grasp upon mm-hmm. um, to, to uh, gain votes. I, 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 I believe it's as simple as that. And um, it is unfortunate because there, there is quite... Ha- actually, you know, the, the, there is a very, very simple uh, way of actually dealing with this, is ensuring that this, uh, these asylum applications are actually um, processed a, a lot quicker. Um, yet... We don't seem to be investing enough time in, you know, within the Home Office to actually um, do that. All of these big sort of grand schemes like having this big barge and, you know, sending people to Rwanda, mm. I think, because I think there is a, there, there is a the visuals of them looking tough on something um, is much more important than, uh, mm. than well, uh, uh, actually dealing with it. Yes, uh, Seth, I just wanted to put the other side of the argument that uh, Arsene was putting. I mean, what about the argument that some people are putting forward that charity begins at home? We have a problem here about homelessness and about uh, food banks, people going without. I mean, are we really in a position to take in take in uh, migrants uh, and refugees? Surely no, I think no. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I don't yeah. think anyone in any right mind would sort of turn around and say we shouldn't be doing that. The problem is we're not. Do, we don't seem to be doing anything. <laughs> um, that's. What, I mean, that's my personal opinion. Again, I think you know you can make the comment that you know um, you know we don't do enough uh, at home. We haven't got the money yet. We know, for example, you know when it came to COVID handouts, uh, you know that we we know that there was a spate of um, money that was sent around. You, it, it always seems to be that we do seem to be able to find the money when we need it um, uh, and for things that, um, you know, for the large part, there'll be some benefit uh, uh, to someone. But when, you know, for, for altruistic reasons and uh, for uh, complete empathy, I, I find we sort of seem to struggle a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And, and this has been more of a shift over the last uh, few decades, I've noticed. Um, it, it, there seems to be this this view that, um, uh, you know, and we do, we end up sort of pitching one person against the other. I mean, these are the same people, you know, the one say is saying that we should be helping those at home, but yet are cutting benefits at the moment and making it more and more difficult for people on that side uh, to uh, to find themselves up or, you know, like forcing uh, people into work. But, so, but is the um, government, it, sorry, sir, to cut you, but is the government playing, government trying to play politics? So you say that there's enough money yesterday, 
or the day mm. before, Sky News were interviewing a junior doctor who spoke very eloquently, who said mm. that uh, it's costing, it's the, the, the total pay rise that the doctors are demanding is around a billion pounds, and the government mm. has spent almost over a billion pounds in trying to stop them having that, <laughs> that billion exactly. pounds. Right? So the money is there, but it's being wrongly spent. So the, it, it looks like it's, it's all about, as you put it, uh, the pictures of it, or the you know the, what what the visuals what or the so who yeah, so yeah. who are the Tories trying to attract? Uh, which voter? I presume they're trying to attract a voter, aren't they, here, to win the next general election? Is it because they are so far behind that it's unlikely yeah. that they'll be voted in? Yeah, I mean, and please don't think that I'm just sort of you know that my that my views are not government bashing. I mean, it's just it's it's, it's being critical of what's what's in front of us at the moment. It's policy based. Um, it's policy based, right? Mm. So that when when I look at, uh, you're absolutely right. You know, like for example, um, all of these fights that are taking place. I think there is a. We all know that this government has had to take a shift towards the right because. Um, uh, that's where they've been able to garner the most support. That's, where, I they, think that's that, where they won that majority with Boris Johnson, with with Brexit absolutely. vote and all that, and the Red Wall, etc. Correct. And, and they, they need they're to they're garner the that. They're after, aren't they? Absolutely. I mean, you can't sort of see anything else. And you're right. I think, you know, they're sort of standing up to the unions. I mean, everyone sort of... Uh, crying, harking back to the days of Margaret mm. Thatcher and mm. what have you. So there, there, there is obviously that, that's, you know, that, that they're trying to sort of appease um, a, a lot of different sides of the coin here. Mm. Um, but yes, there is a base, there is that base of the sort of, you, you know, that right, right-sided uh, mindset that, mm. that people are going if, for. If, if the government was to show a more human face to this than, than just the politics of it, maybe they would resolve this issue uh, and, and move forward. And, 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 and you know, the, the, it's just the deaths that, that, that are amounting which, which mm. is what, what it's all about, which is what concerns everyone. Correct. And I think there was a, a, a radio show uh, yesterday, or on Friday, where a woman said, well, we've got to stop the boats. We know there's going to be some deaths about it, but we've just got to stop yeah. the landing. And the, the presenter, Nicky Campbell, was absolutely shocked at that comment, as, as many mm. people were. Uh, and, and that is the shocking tragedy of this, that people are becoming so inhumane about this issue because of the yes. politics that is being played. Uh, let's move on to another sad death. By the way, there were six deaths on, 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 on the channel at the weekend, uh, not nine, as I might have stated. Uh, but talking about some more deaths, um, The Guardian reports that Hawaii wildfire, at least 89 confirmed killed after deadliest U.S. plays in 100 years. The news today is talking about 90-odd people, 93 possibly, um, yeah. and have died in the fires, consumed the historic town of Lahaina uh, on the Hawaiian island of Maui. Uh, Governor Josh Green has said making it the deadliest U.S. wildfire in more than a century, with the toll expected to rise. What uh, uh, can you tell us a bit more? Sorry, Willie, you wanted yeah. to say something. No, no, I just uh, it's all right. Yeah, Go yeah, on. no, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, what, what do you make of this, uh, uh, Seth? Why are these wildfires that have been taking place in Europe and now in America, and particularly yeah. Hawaii, a small island? Can you give us some thoughts on that? Yeah. So basically, I mean, you know, having, I mean, again, a very sad sort of story, and I think we, you know, we already had it in Europe earlier on in the summer. Um, you know, a spate of wildfires uh, through Greece and through parts of Spain. Um, and now we're sort of seeing it across the islands of Hawaii and Maui, I think, is, is, is the largest one there. Um, and again, you've had this sort of uh, deadly cocktail of very dry, unseasonal 
um, whether I mean you know it's an island you expect there sort of to be a little bit of humidity but there's actually been it's, it's been incredibly dry plus you've had hurricane um, or you know like sort of high winds which uh, which is again is very unseasonal um, they say it's part of an El Nino effect but again you know we, we're looking at sort of climate change which which is which is causing a lot of these issues um, and it doesn't take very much um, to set off these wildfires. And, uh, you, you, you know, you had local, um, uh, the local fire service struggling with, with keeping that under control. So, yeah, again, you know, it's a, it's a very, very sad, uh, very sad story. Um, it seems to be getting worse, um, you know, sort of keeping in control of these things. And I think we're at a stage now where we have to start getting used to the idea that these may be more, more frequent. I mean, you know, and I was, it, it sort of ties into the story we were just talking about um with the, with the refugees i think we almost have to be prepared that also you know the people that are going to be start that that will want to start moving away from certain areas um mm, mm. due to the high risks of these uh, uh events um will will start gaining so yeah, i mean you know the, i think it's it's becoming very obvious that there there are some real life consequences to to um to some of this climate uh, to some of this climate thing whether it's man made or not you know it, it it is happening so it's yeah. something that we need and, to and, keep and, an and, eye and, on and not too long ago we were talking about the floods in pakistan Correct. and there yeah. were the earthquakes really there's uh, there's uh, something about all these disasters as far as faith is religion is concerned something about the signs of the times for the messiah Yes, um, about earthquakes and uh, yeah, pestilences and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so yes, they, these are signs uh, of the coming of the Messiah. But uh, what's, what's amazing is that people are still thinking that it is not due to climate change, that it's not due to, um, um, what is it, uh, carbon emissions. Right. Um, and they're resisting uh, any uh, advancing or any move towards net zero already uh, i think our target to, for 2030 to get to net net zero has been extended to 2050 yeah so and, and there was a report although we know that in uxbridge mm. uh, they say that the tories held on to the seat purely because of the ulis charge yes. otherwise that would mm. have been a whitewash for the tory mm. government uh, but so the public are not willing to pay for it. They're not willing mm. to pay for mm. it. And, and all the um, boroughs of London, mm. none of them meet the requirement that has been set right. for net zero. Yeah. So they're already, all of them yeah. are behind yeah. it, and yet yeah. they're voting against it and, and yeah. they're demanding it. You're yeah. absolutely right to yeah. raise that point. Yeah. Uh, Saf, just one more story very quickly. I know you're not into... Tory or government bashing, <laughs> but but to Theresa Villiers, MP failed yeah. to declare she owned Shell shares worth seventy thousand while working as Environment Secretary. Reports Sky News. I won't read the other parts of the news. We know what the story is about. But this Tory yep. party scandal is a gift that keeps giving, isn't it? <laughs> I, you know, I, um, for this particular case, I mean, I know that it's sort of come up. I mean, I think it does raise. Um, an interesting question about, uh, you, you know, MPs holding. Look, I don't think one can uh, argue that some of them will have been fairly successful in, you know, like previous um, uh, uh, previous roles, and mm. you know, have done have, have done particularly well financially. Now, I think the the, the issues that came here was that she did. I mean, I, I actually think that she went around uh, about doing this the right way. You know, sort of raising the issue before it actually happened, and. Um, uh, or, or, sorry, not failing. She she tried her best. I'll put it that way. Um, she recognised that there was an issue 
uh, and went back. Um, over here, there, there is a threshold of £70,000. So, you know, if you own £70,000 worth yeah, of so a company... It. Why didn't you declare it? Yeah, I mean, for, for her, for on her personal thing, I think she said she forgot, essentially. It's no, part she didn't say she forgot. Portfolio. She said that she was not aware because the, the shares sort of evolved when part over yes. 70,000 and she wasn't aware because previously there weren't 70,000. But that's Correct. her job, isn't it? That's for her advisors to advise her, the people who are managing her funds. It is. And, it that, is. and that's something she should have sort of highlighted to them, saying, look, if it goes over 70,000, let me know because I need I to have declare to know. it. Yep. I mean, I'm sorry, she can't plead innocent because of ignorance. Um, but let me finish. No, no, I mean, yeah, yeah sorry. It's just, I was it's just, just a case say, of I think, politicians now to the trough here, surely. Yeah, but I, if I'm very honest with you, I think even in the UK, I mean, the, the, the level is, the, the, the bar is actually a, a quite lower. I mean, in the US, you see this to, to a much larger extent where, you know, you've got some billionaires that sit on uh, Congress and Senate and things like that. And they have... Uh, and they haven't, you know, they've been caught for, for lesser evils. I think this is true. I think this is something that they need to keep up. Because obviously as policymakers, if you are holding, you know, like high level of uh, amount of a company, mm. um, the fact that certain policies will aid and abet them, um, you, 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 it does need to be as transparent as possible. I think we need to have a system over here that once you go into office, a lot of this stuff has to go into blind trust that, you know, like that you have nothing known about it and you pass it on to someone else to manage your fund for you. And we haven't even discussed Nadine Doris yet in, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and her absence in, in Parliament. Uh, but let, uh, yeah. me, let me finish with uh, a quote from a philosopher, Chinese philosopher, Lao Zi. I hope I pronounced it right. He said, there is no calamity greater than lavish desires. There is no greater guilt than discontentment. And there is no greater disaster than greed. Greed is a bottomless pit which exhausts the person in an endless effort to satisfy the need without ever reaching satisfaction. Exactly. Profound. It's very profound. Very. And, and it, it also ties in with this uh, carbon thing, this environment thing as well. Because yes. it's greed that mm. is really uh, yeah, pressing us on and uh, for us choosing to ignore yeah. the consequences of what we're doing mm. Um, so, uh, very, very good quote. I, I spoke yeah? to one businessman, hmm. very wealthy, very well to do, uh, and he was saying that uh, he's totally against what Sadiq Khan is going to be going to get rid of him. I said, why? Because we're having to pay for this Euless charge. I said, you're a rich man. I'm sure your car is Euless compliant. You're not even having to pay for any Euless charges. <laughs> why are you complaining? <laughs> I said, I'm sure it's, you haven't got sympathy for those who can't afford it. <laughs> so you're absolutely right. Anyway, yeah, 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 uh, Saf, yeah. thank you very much for thank you very much. Everyone. Thank you. Thank right, you. Lily, let's yeah. move on to the next segment of our show, uh, mm -hmm. which is Faith in Focus. Uh, we've been reviewing the life of the promised Messiah in early episodes. We will continue to do so and examine some of his qualities, I believe. Mm. Uh, many people clearly accepted the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, uh, but were there any that accepted him just by his face for the first time? Because yeah. I know of this uh, issue about his photograph, mm. that he said, I'm not in favor of my photograph being taken, but I know that people uh, accept truth by looking at someone, mm, mm. and that's why he, he yeah. allowed that to happen. Can you? Yeah, no, no, it's it's true that he very much felt that it was uh, his personality, his face that would exude uh, truth, and that's why 
he allowed his pro, uh, his photograph to be to be taken. Um, he didn't want it to be. He was uh, hesitant because he didn't want it to be uh, um, become uh, a means of idolatry or used used as uh, an object right. of idolatry. Right. Right. Um, but there were many uh, in the time of the uh, promised Messiah who were seeking the truth and uh, accepted it without any discussion, without any detailed engagement, just looking at his face. And one of them was, of course, the uh, first um, caliph of uh, uh, these, of first successor, should I say, of the uh, promised Messiah, the Mormon Nuruddin, and he himself states, and I've got a quote uh, which is attributed to him, he says that, uh, it was after Asa prayer, I approached Masih Mubarak, so this is the mosque that the promised Messiah used, and he says, as soon as I saw his face, I was overjoyed. So he's just looking at his face, mm. and uh, and he, he finds that he's committed. I was overjoyed and felt happy and grateful to have found the perfect man that I was seeking all my life. At the end of the first meeting, I offered my hand for bath, so he wanted to pledge his allegiance to him. And the promise Messiah said that he was not, this was apparently in 1885, and the uh, promise Messiah said that he was not yet divinely commissioned to accept uh, uh, bath, uh, this Pledge of Allegiance. And uh, then uh, he says, this is Hazrat Mawlid Nuruddin says, I made Mizasa promise, he made the uh, uh, promise, Messiah promise, that I would be the first person whose bath would be accepted. And this is something that he, uh, that it appears was accepted. So mm-hmm. he wanted to be the first. And this was some a commitment that he drew from the promised Messiah at the first meeting. And four years later, uh, after being instructed by God Almighty, the promised Messiah did take the first bath in 1889. And again, you know, the the underlying issue is that he did not uh, require uh, any uh, discussions, any explanations. It's just the personality of the promised Messiah that was enough for him, that exuded his truth. And this acceptance of uh, the first caliph is very, is a bit similar, or not too dissimilar, to the way that Hazrat Abu Bakr accepted uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Again, he knew, of course, the Holy Prophet beforehand, but he did not require any detailed uh, discussion. He didn't require any detailed explanation or proof. Mm. Uh, when he found out that this is what the Holy Prophet uh, was uh, suggesting, that he was a prophet from God, all he wanted to know is whether it was the rumor was true, and when the Holy Prophet, uh, wanted to explain, he he stopped him. He said, "Is it true?" Mm. And that's all I want to know. Mm. And as soon as he said that it was true, that was that was sufficient for him. Mm. So those people who are sincere at heart, those people who are good-natured, are able to see the truth when another individual is saying so. And uh, this is the case with uh, these great personalities that we've, we're discussing. What about <coughs> any individuals who may have been skeptical uh, yeah. about the promised man but were drawn to him as soon as they saw his face? Was any of that uh, evidence? Absolutely. So, again, um, some people are sincere in their opposition. You know, yes. there, there are many hypocrites, mm. right? They know in, uh, in the depth of their hearts that there is some truth in what another is saying, but they will not admit it. Their pride or their arrogance is stopping them from doing it. But some people are genuinely uh, believing that what the other individual is saying is untrue, and they're sincere in that. Now, these are the kinds of people that will change 
if a, uh, a cogent argument is given, and sometimes they are also the ones that are able to see the truth when it when it faces in the in the when it face when it is uh, brought to uh, to them um, in through the face of the individual mm. or through the personality of the image. And this is the case of Ghulam Nabi. Now Ghulam Nabi, Malvi Ghulam Nabi. Now he was an influential scholar, so he was an unlearned. He was and had a considerable following among the Muslims. And he delighted uh, others with his uh, scholarly knowledge of the Quran and these. And uh, he was an opponent of the promised Messiah. He considered himself to be false. And um, uh, when the promised Messiah went to Ludhiana, uh, Ghulam uh, Nabi used to bring with him a crowd of people. He would pitch it, uh, pitch uh, outside the residence of the promised Messiah, where he would proceed to pour venom and uh, and uh, what is it insults against the whole, uh, the promised messiah and um, it so happened that uh, the way that uh, the situation was that the residence of the promised messiah in Ludhiana was such that there was no through entrance to the men's reception room from the ladies side and the promised messiah had to approach the men's uh, area externally so he had to go out in order to uh, uh, um enter the men's side. And one day it so happened that as the promised Messiah was making his way to the men's reception room, uh, Malwi Ghulam Nabi caught a glimpse of his face. Mm-hmm. So the opposition uh, of Ghulam Nabi was such that he didn't even want to see his face. But uh, the situation was such that at this instance he had to. And that completely overpowered him. Uh, prior to this occurrence, he was busy delivering his uh, usual speeches, arousing the public's animosity against the promised Messiah. But having seen the face, a glimpse of the face, he rushed towards him. And uh, uh, seeing his approach, the promised Messiah extended his hands, offered greetings of peace. Uh, Molly Saab returned the greeting, took hold of his hand, and accompanied him inside. And one inside, once inside, Molly Saab uh, not only sat close to the promised Messiah, but also began to declare his love and emanation for him in an instant, right? So being a scholar, naturally, he raised many pertinent questions relating to the promised Messiah's claim about the death of Jesus mm. and about his own commission. The promised Messiah replied, quoting references from the Holy Quran, uh, to which Maulvi Saab then eventually said, certainly the Holy Quran is with you. So he accepted, yeah? And the promised Messiah then responded, uh, and this is a very uh, telling remark. He said, if the Holy Quran is on my side, all right, whose side are you on, mm. right? And uh, uh, that, you know, uh, what is it, uh, uh, brought the truth home, what the penny dropped, so to speak, yeah, yes. Yeah. And uh, from that, uh, and he extended his hand uh, in accepting the, the promise of Messiah. Yeah. And from that time on, as the uh, Ghulam Nabi Sahib became totally immersed in the love of the promise of Messiah, and he made many visits to, to Kadian, and he didn't, you know, he never wished to uh, to leave, leave, leave his side. But this is a transformation that took place just by looking at his okay. face. That's it. Maybe there were things happening behind dreams and things like that. Maybe, and, uh, you know, yeah. which, which yeah. I'm sure yeah. contribute. Yeah. Any other examples? One is, uh, as they say, hmm. one solo doesn't make a summer. Yeah, no, um, uh, there, there are other examples. But one also has to remember that, you know, not everyone is, is sincere. Um, mm. There are those, there are certain people um, who uh, engage the promised man and fail, and fail to recognize well, the we truth. had the yeah. case of uh, 
Abu Jahl, who, yes. who was with, who has spent much time with the Holy Prophet, but never accepted Islam until no. very late. Right? No, yeah. Abu Jahl never accepted him. Not right? really, correct. Yes, yes correct, okay, never correct. accepted him. No. Um, and uh, part of the reason, I mean, we, we have a lot of uh, uh, commentators that uh, uh, draw their conclusion as to why that was the case. And, uh, and the underlying issue with Abu Jahl was his arrogance. He felt that he was superior, he mm. could not bring himself to uh, to accept that somebody like the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, would be a prophet of God. And that somebody, if a prophet of God was to be raised, it had to be from his uh, side of the tribe of the Quraysh, uh, not from his side. They were from different, uh, he was, I think, uh, from Abu uh, Ibn Hashim. And Abu Jahl was from the Makhtum or right. uh, something. But and anyway. in the case of the promised Messiah, there were some who, despite being in his company, did not accept yeah. him. No, and they did not accept him. So, um, And uh, the promised Messiah felt that very much that his personality and uh, if people are genuine and sincere about seeking uh, for the truth, that they will find the truth. And one of the challenges that he did issue is to the public to come and stay with him in Qadiyah. Right. And even to, he even offered their living expenses and promised them that if they are sincere and they pray and they stay with him, I can't remember how long was it, two months or for a certain period of time, then they will be able to see a sign of the truth of what he was saying. And uh, some people... Um, you mentioned uh, Professor Ray last time, yes, didn't you? Did yes, you remember yes. that uh, he was one of those who spent time... But, yeah. Yeah. And, and he accepted it. He accepted, he accepted yes, yeah. Right. Um, uh, the promised Messiah, but, you know, some people do not accept and the promised Messiah, and you, you related the... It's interesting you relate the uh, instance of Abu Jail. The promised Messiah himself related a story in this respect. He said that once a pious man said to King Mahmud, the fire of hell is forbidden for one who sees me once. And King Mahmud said, your claim is loftier than the claim of the Holy Prophet, uh, peace be upon him. The non-believers like Abu Lahab and Abu Jahl saw him. However, the fire of hell was not forbidden for them. So just because you see a holy man doesn't mean uh, you, you're going to be uh, mm-hmm. you're going to be escaping the fire. And the pious man said, O King, do you, know, do you not know what God has said in the Holy Quran? And the Holy Quran in Surah Raf, uh, verse 199, when translated, says, if you invite them to guidance, they hear you not. And you see them looking towards you, but they see not. And so this is a, 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 a deeper, prof- more mm. profound understanding that needs to be drawn, that what, what the Holy Quran is saying is they don't see the truth. They don't, they don't see the, truth. see yeah. the prophet for what he is. Yeah. Right? That's what they're saying. And the, Holy, and the promise will explain that if an observer looks with the eyes of love and conviction, sincerity in other words, then there is an effect. The one who looks with hostility and enmity does not succeed to acquire faith. Indeed. And um, I remember vividly um, being told uh, about um, a story in, about Hazrat Khalifa Sulamisi, the fourth, uh, the fourth caliph of the Ambiya Muslim community. And in one of these question-answer sessions uh, with lawyers, and one of the uh, lawyers stood up and said that the holy people have this aura around them. There is this nur right, mm. uh, that is evident on their faces. And uh, I don't see this nur on your face, mm. you know. 
And the uh, the fourth caliph said, do you believe the holy prophet had nur or this holy aura about him? And the questioner said, yes, of course. He said, well, uh, Abu Jahl didn't see it. <laughs> right? So the question was the question was put back. You Maybe know, my question <laughs> came from that uh, remembrance of that incident. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and and the issue yeah. is that you know you, you sometimes and I'm, I'm I don't claim to be you know somebody holy myself or anybody, but but uh, I think that generally uh, you can work out whether uh, somebody who's claiming to have anything spiritual or special spiritual qualities mm. is in fact true or not by just by just looking at them. Sometimes we say that uh, Ahmadis stand out mm. amongst non-Ahmadis. Yes. I, I had an incident. My wife was going to join me from Pakistan to get married. We went to the airport to receive her with my family. Uh-huh. There's another group of boys standing nearby. And we were in a discussion saying, those boys look Ahmadis. Uh-huh. Uh, but we, we'd never seen them before. Yeah. Yeah. One of them came over to me and said, are you Ahmadis? You know? yeah. So I said, yes. I said, are you? He said, yes, we just recently converted. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he said, when we saw your family, uh-huh. then we could tell that you're Ahmadis. You know? Right. So yeah. there's that, there is that. There is that, isn't there? Yeah. And, and, and something that you just mentioned, uh, I remember someone mentioning that during the assembly of 1974, when Khazar Khalifa Tumasi Salis, the third caliph, mm. was in attendance in, in, in the parliament, presenting the case with Khalifa Rabbe and, and, and others with him, uh, that some of the uh, uh, ministers or maybe even the clerics mm. were saying, look, we don't believe what he's saying, but he's got nur on his face, that, <laughs> the, the caliph. Right. So, so, you know, the, so, so certainly there, yeah. there is that attraction, yeah. Yeah. certainly. So, yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, our, our mutual friend Munir Rafiq was telling us the other day that uh, when he entered, when uh, the third caliph entered the assembly, uh, everyone stood up. Mm. You know, the, the, you know, just his his personality, his presence mm. was such. And he said salam, and everyone replied yes. back to him. <laughs> and <laughs> they were told not to. Yes, <laughs> and afterwards, uh, you know, they they were squabbling among themselves. Why did you stand? Yeah. And uh, you know, these are the the clerics were complaining to the to uh, the um, the lawyers. Mm. That why you know why did you stand? And they said, why did you stand? Mm. You stood, <laughs> or we stood. You know? So you know, some sometimes it's just the personality of the individual, mm. especially with those uh, who are true. Yes, uh, that compels you to react it, in a certain and, way. And in a neutral environment, mm. that will always stand out. Yeah, yeah, as yeah, these examples yeah. Are And there's one other thing. Yeah. You know, you're talking about your your personal experience. I mean, I had a personal experience, mm. but it's the opposite. <laughs> you know, I, I in uh, I think it was the early uh, 2000s. I had a non-Ahmadi Muslim friend, and he was banging on about this particular saint that uh, operated. Uh, from Stoke on Trent, and he had some very spiritual, highly, you know, um, yeah, influential mm. uh, powers, all right? All right, Due yes. to his holiness, yes. you know, he yeah. was able it's to see. It's a common see. belief in Pakistan. Is it? Yeah. Right. And, Peers uh, and all these, you know, the, Peer, yeah. Yeah, yeah so right, yeah. Stoke on Trent, and uh, he said, you know, you should come and see. And I actually went and saw, saw him. Mm. But uh, when I went there, you know, I, it was very clear there's no holiness. His face was, you know, it was dark mm. uh, rather than what you'd expect from... And it's not just the complexion. No. Yeah, the complexion is... There's even with uh, uh, dark people, 
Um, no, people see, with dark complexion, you yeah, can see Nuh. Absolutely. for instance. Yes. You know, yes. he had that yeah. holiness about yeah. him. Okay? And From you Ghana. see Kufar Abishab in yes. Birmingham also. Yes. And so many others. Yeah. You know, when yeah. you see them, there is that, there's yeah. light in yeah. them. Yeah, there is light. Yeah. Uh, so in this in this instance, there's nothing at all. I can see it. And there were other features that, that uh, felt wrong about him being holy. So one of the things he used to do was that, uh, oh, he did... And I was told that he did this on a regular basis, that if he had a problem, then he would scribble something on, on a piece of paper mm. and then he would you know, give it. And if you put it in a particular place, mm. then your, your problem will be solved. And uh, he uh, stood or sat on a high place, made you sit on the floor, mm -hmm. right? So that smacked of arrogance to me anyway. Mm -hmm. And then when he was handing you these tabis, that's what they were called, he would actually throw them on the floor, and then you know my friend would actually scatter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I thought this is not this is not the uh, sign or indication of a holy man. Yeah. So it must be flawed. I never went again. And uh, lucky for you, <laughs> <laughs> you might have been captured so, by his uh, by his magic. Yeah. No, <laughs> I don't think so. I, mean, I was uh, totally, I was totally uh, put off by him, and I told my friend, look, I don't think this is this is right. But he was very, very convinced. Mm. And uh, this is in 2003. So very recent. Yeah, well, not too, yes. Not and then yeah. I found on the newspaper in 2016 that uh, he had been found guilty of fraud oh. <laughs> and embezzling uh, money from various sources mm. and was jailed for, I think, six years. And so was his wife and his, uh, and his daughter. Mm. So he was completely mm. fraud. And I remember, you know, earlier on, and I should have listened to the Khalifa Masi uh, as well, because I remember... Uh, speaking to um, the fourth caliph mm. uh, uh, about peers and and he told me that don't don't get it don't yeah. they they are they're fraud they just want money and making a bit like and, the, he, and he was right yeah, yeah a bit like the these evangelical missionaries in in the yes. in, in America particularly yes. and in Africa now yeah you have well. them on television yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. yeah I think one the famous one was uh, Swagat. Uh -huh. uh, was proven to be a liar and a cheat, yeah. and yeah. he was a multimillionaire through his work. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the, the most famous after yeah. Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, Swaggart was brought to, to his knees very mm. quick. Uh, very yeah, soon. so there are a lot of swindlers and uh, yeah. um, what is it? Uh, and scam people artists. will buy it, and, uh, yes. um, and uh, it is only through the prayers through Allah Almighty mm. that you can really. Be convinced, and Allah says, "I'm closer to you than your jugular vein. If you mm. run to me, if you walk to me, I will run to you." Yeah. Uh, and this is ultimately, and we always say in our efforts in dawah, mm. in tabligh, that uh, ultimately, whatever we say, you have to pray to God for guidance. We mm. are only the tools for it. Mm -hmm. the, we we are not the guidance. Allah no. is the guidance, and no. this is our approach yeah. in yeah. all matters. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right, may Allah guide us in those right paths. We, unfortunately, we diversified a lot in yes. that, and we didn't even cover half the questions, no. but we will do so in our next But episode. it was interesting. It was it? interesting, yeah. very. Let's go to the 11 o'clock. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah wa barakatuhu. Welcome back to the Weekend World Show with Asan Ahmadi. 
Uh, we have with us uh, Daniel Kalun, uh, joining us, our young missionary, the, the Ask the Imam. We'll be having a segment with him. Assalamu alaikum, Daniel. Assalamu alaikum. I think we're okay with the sound. Uh, do butt in whenever you wish to. Uh, sure. <laughs> or contribute, rather, uh, whenever you want to in the show. But we will come to your segment, which is uh, Ask the Imam. Uh, I think we're talking firstly about predestination often the subject quite confusing yes uh, the most common question is everything's predetermined why bother to do anything yeah so i'm sure we'll, our listeners will be uh, eager to listen to what you have to say really um hmm. we're on the behind the headline segment of the show um al jazeera has reported did u.s ask for imran khan's removal as pakistan's pm after he visited russia uh, what else do uh, Al Jazeera say? Well, uh, a United States-based uh, news outlet has published what it claims to be the details of a diplomatic cipher or a secret secret cable that suggests the U.S. administration wanted to remove former Pakistani Prime Minister Imran Khan from power last year. Khan was sacked from power in April 2022 after he lost a no-confidence vote in Parliament. He alleged he knew of the cipher while he was in office, which, according to him, proved the U.S. hatched a conspiracy with the help of his political opponents and the Pakistani military to remove him. Yes, he later made a U-turn saying he wants good relations with the U.S., but continued to blame his successor, Prime Minister Shabal Sharif, and the military for orchestrating his removal. Khan is currently serving a three-year sentence and has been barred from politics for five years after he was convicted for corruption of corruption charges by a court in the capital Islamabad last week. He denies the charges and says that the actions against him aimed at stopping him from contesting elections expected later this year. Let's hear a little clip from the media about what uh, they said is happening in Pakistan. We're learning right now exclusively that the former Prime Minister Imran Khan has been totally banned from Pakistani TV channels. This is all according to Pakistani government sources. They're saying that a internal order has been given to not show the former prime minister on TV screens. Uh, they've specifically said no live coverage, no sound bites, no visuals, and his name is not to be mentioned on the ticker at all. Sounds like a fascist country to me, doesn't it? Sheikh Rahman is joining us, Willie, uh, mm -hmm. from Wimbledon, from <clears throat> uh, a financier, banker in the banking world, and a human rights campaigner and keeps a keen eye on his home nation of birth, Pakistan. Good morning. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Rahman. Uh, thank you for joining us, uh, Sheikh Rahman. You contribute on our show on a regular basis, particularly when it comes to Pakistan. But things are getting quite serious, are they not, in Pakistan? All very worrying. Uh, what is happening there? His name is not permitted on any media except on social media, regrettably by the government who and the army who probably wants it banned on that as well. Who is behind his arrest and who wants his name banned and why? Well, uh, good question. Uh, the, unfortunately, um, I think where you started at the beginning was that he was removed by a, a, a vote of no confidence. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the vote of no confidence, uh, in my view, had absolute no value because his party, who had resigned from parliament, 
um, and were the majority ruling party at the time, um, were not able to participate in the no confidence motion. Uh, so therefore, the, the other parties who, who now are called uh, PDM um, were actually responsible for that particular no confidence motion. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure uh, constitutionally how much value that particular no confidence motion had. Uh, but going back a little bit, of course, the establishment was involved. Um, and if you if you recall, uh, even the the Supreme Court uh, was was had their doors open at 12 midnight in case it was challenged. Right. Unprecedented in the history of not just Pakistan, but I think in in the history of of the world of justice. Yeah, probably. So, <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> but Imran Khan has always maintained, didn't he? he? Was he was maintaining before he was dethroned that America are behind some schemes against him? Yes, but you know, sometimes you make political allegations, you make political statements, uh, which of course um, are 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 also necessary. Um, I mean, unfortunately, in this particular instance. Uh, this issue with the cipher has now been proven without doubt that that was real. Mm -hmm. Our, um, that the Pakistan ambassador was called by the uh, the office of um, um, the American uh, equivalent, and, and and that chap called Donald Drew, in fact, had this conversation with the with the ambassador. Right. And it's now been proved beyond doubt that that was that has been an absolute truth mm. uh, that this this happened. So, uh, and you know, for the military chief and the and the head of um, ISI to visit him in the prime minister's house to have him removed, the, the, the Supreme Court having been opened at twelve o'clock at midnight, had this been challenged? Yeah. Are all are all actions which actually confirm um, his removal? by, not by lawful means, but by unlawful means. Right. Um, and that that is rather unfortunate in the history of Pakistan. It and is. Then, uh, historically, this is, this, this, the thing, the, the situation seems to be getting worse in Pakistan, where each government that comes in is charged for corruption and, and, and proven to be, and yet they come back as leaders of the nation. Is there something wrong with Pakistani politics? Absolutely. I think there's something wrong with not just the politics, but more importantly, with our judiciary and our justice system, mm. which is which is supposed to protect the rights of the people of Pakistan, including, of course, if the, if such an action in in politics takes place. Right. But as we've as we've known uh, since 1953, um, and then subsequently in 1956 and 1965 and uh, the 1958 military coup and, and the military coups that followed, uh, the judiciary has always sided with, with actually justifying uh, the, the actions, the illegal actions, I would say, frankly, of these governments being overthrown and, and having been, uh, been replaced by, uh, by military rulers. Uh, and unfortunately, that is why democracy, 
I mean, it's not just the military rulers who are to blame. It's our politicians as well who flourish in these sort of environments. Indeed. They create uh, the environment for the military to sometimes take over. Yes. Yeah. And, and then uh, that, that's why, unfortunately, the democratic process has been harmed. Mm. Um, and I just wouldn't say just by the military, but I would say more by the politicians themselves. Yeah. Yes, absolutely, the corruption of it. But what, I mean, one of the things which was most shocking for me personally was that uh, the judicial had actually released Imran Khan on bail and then the yes. military came in saying, well, he must be tried by military law. And I didn't understand the link between the two because they surely should have been in separate and, that, and the military uh, court had nothing to do with Imran Khan and his party. Well, the military courts were actually established some time ago in order to deal with the extremist elements in the country okay which was which, which of course was probably the right way to do it because the military courts actually meet out a justice system much quicker than if they were to be heard by the civil courts mm -hmm. and and the military courts quite rightly uh, having taken military action in those parts of the world where in in those parts of Pakistan where there were these extremist and terrorist, terrorist groups. Mm -hmm. So their remit was purely to do that. Right. Not to go and start trying... Into the political system, yeah. Yes, and or the political system in Pakistan. Mm. But unfortunately, uh, the present uh, half-baked government in Pakistan, in fact, justified that action by passing an amendment... To these, uh, to the to the establishment of the military courts, and allow them to try anybody or everybody that they wish to try. Sheikh <laughs> <During laughs> uh, Rahman, uh, yeah, uh, if I can, um, can I backtrack a bit? Uh, you know, you're questioning the legitimacy of the procedure that removed Imran Khan from office. Uh, why? Because uh, there was a vote of no confidence. I mean. If uh, his uh, party members withdrew from parliament, nobody forced them to withdraw from parliament. If they were not there and a vote was taken, then they have to accept the consequences. So it was a legitimate vote that took place, wasn't well, no, it? I believe I do not agree with that. Because mm -hmm. although, they, although they resigned, mm -hmm. the, the Speaker of the National Assembly, the then appointed Speaker of the National Assembly by the, uh, by, by the opposition parties, who were in opposition to Imran Khan, did not accept their resignations. So legitimately, they were still, or legally, they were still members of parliament. They could have voted in that, uh, uh, no confidence? Well, yes, they have been allowed to vote. Maybe they would have lost the vote, because obviously the, the other opposition parties, having got together, then formed a very thin majority. But who knows? Who knows? Who may have who may have sided with Imran Khan at the time. Who knows that? So was it a mistake not taking part in the vote because they could have influenced the vote? Uh, I, I'm not sure because I think at that time, the fact, the way he was removed, uh, there was so much tension within the uh, political system in the country. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure they would have been stopped from coming to parliament. I mean, okay. if Imran Khan was not allowed to to come to Parliament, not allowed okay. to political rights. 
so moving on uh, the discussion, uh, and I'm sure there's lots to discuss still, but uh, moving on, how popular is Imran Khan in Pakistan today and his party? Because many of his uh, party members have resigned and left the party. I think the disgruntled members, I mean, what we used to call lotas uh, in, in the political context of Pakistan, some of them have left the party. Some of them had already been removed from the party. Mind you, people like Jahangir Sareen and Adeem Khan, who were, were alleged to be his ATMs, were actually removed by Imran Khan from the party. Sorry, ATMs? What do you mean by that? The, um, you know, like funding the party. In, oh, okay. In, oh, I see. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Cash machines. Mm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. It is Sunday morning. Sorry? No, 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 I said it is Sunday morning, so mm. yeah, we can, we're can allowed to be slow. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Now, these are the guys who were actually removed by Imran Khan while he was in power. Mm -hmm. So you can, you, you can imagine someone like Jangir Tareen was definitely very, very close to, to Imran Khan, not only in terms of policy making or organizing the party, but also was was the next possible um, leader of, of PTI uh, had something happened to, to, to Imran, Imran Khan, um, as was Shah Mahmood Qureshi. So the two people who were very close and were really very active in, in organizing the party were these two guys. But however, when when it was alleged that Jangir um, Tareen was involved in those uh, sugar scandals and all that. Imran Khan actually removed him from the party setup and removed him from anything to do with PTI. So, so you can imagine how how tough that decision may have been. But he did it. What was the party self imploding? What sorry was the party self imploding, meaning destructing its destroying itself from within itself? I don't think so. I think the support that that Imran Khan had. Uh, within the, the the within his party members, within his elected MNAs and MPAs, mm -hmm. similarly within the particularly the youth of the country, mm -hmm. who, as you may have noticed, even after he was removed, were attending his conventions in very very big numbers, despite all the barriers being put in their way. Right. So and, and that still continues, by the way. Okay. There was news reports that uh, when he was arrested, the uh, the protests were not as big as they were before. Yes, but that news reports were from whom? Uh, you tell us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, it, with with a total ban on on Imran Khan's being reported by any of the news media in Pakistan, not just uh, the television or mm. the or newspapers or whatever. Uh, any of the news media in Pakistan, uh, his only message that he's been sending across or his party members have been communicating with is primarily the social media. Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and, and, and that seems to be the case now. That is the social media that's promoting him. There seems to be a, or there is a total ban on even mentioning his name, even his name on the ticker tapes that run at the bottom of news, uh, news media. Is Pakistan turning into a fascist country? Because this is what fascism does. Unfortunately, yes. 
from the country, nothing mm. like this has ever happened, even in the worst of times in Pakistan. Even when the military dictators were in power, they never enforced this kind of ban on the use of the media in this manner mm-hmm. um, and in terms of communication. So everything that the uh, military establishment want put out in the in the in the uh, in the news media and uh, to the general public is what is done. It's, the releases are done. I mean, I was only listening to Shaheen Sebhai this morning, uh, or, or I think no, not him, but someone else, and they said that, for example, Hamid Mir, who is a, a renowned uh, geo uh, young um, reporter, yeah. uh, can't write in English. And yet his articles are published in English. Those articles are actually drafted and written in our intelli- by our intelligence services and, and published under his name. So, so it's that kind of thing that is happening in Pakistan. Mm. The, the recent um, conviction of Imran Khan has been done by a law court judge. And that judge has then um, been sent to London or England to attend a human rights course, which is, again, a sad indictment on the country. What uh, human rights? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Laughable. It is. Uh, Do yeah. you think that Imran Khan's appearance on TV with Putin the day after they invaded uh, Ukraine irritated America no end, and it was a mistake by Imran Khan to have gone ahead with that meeting? I don't think it was a mistake by Imran Khan because I think any political leadership of any country should be allowed to independently decide what they wish to do for the best interest of their country, as does the West, whether it's America or, or any other country in the West. I think that the, the, the leadership of that country should also be allowed to do that. Mm. And I think it was in the interest of Pakistan, particularly the negotiation for the purchase of oil and wheat, which we needed desperately at costs lower lower than the rest of the world was selling at. Which is why he went there, wasn't it? Which is why he went there, and mm. which is why he met Putin. Mm. And which is why he also, uh, because the Americans wanted the Pakistani army or the military to send their own personnel and also sell some arms to Ukraine, uh, I think via mm. the West or whatever, um, and, and he refused. And if you, if you recall General Bajwa, the, other, the next day made a statement which, which he has no right to make. He's, he's only the head of our army. Not, he's not the head of our, or leader of our nation. No. What did he say? He actually made a statement that it was a big mistake for Imran to go to, to Russia and, and to do this, and that we should, we should align ourselves or remain aligned to the U.S. Right, so he was laying his card on the on the table, basically. Right. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, again, what? Sorry, sorry. you you going to say something? Carry on. I said it again. It's a very very sad indictment on the country. Mm. Yeah. There are videos of Imran Khan being used for political pers- purposes, and the same videos being used both ways. We're showing with his eyes badly injured. It appears one. Can only assume he was probably being was beaten up by the, by being imprisoned. 
uh, while uh, the opposition to Imran Khan are trying to make out that he was under drugs and things like this. That's Obviously, that's, that's false propaganda. It was clearly that something has, a ray has been going yeah. on to Imran Khan under his arrest. Um, that's that, photo. Asan, before you carry on. Yes. That particular picture or photo, that was a fake photo anyway. Oh, okay. AI working at, at large? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is another... Uh, Daniel, you might have a thing or two to say about AI, uh, being a vocal gentleman yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, a AI um, is, is a modern form of magic. Uh, you know, it's easy to deceive people through AI. But on, on this topic, on Imran Khan's photo, I just remember that this morning I saw a photo of him on Twitter and someone put a... Ca Here, here's the thing, right? I'm not a political analyst or anything. Um, so I don't know the deep politics of Pakistan. But from what I know, I can say that I'm a bit of a, an Imran Khan fan, right? right. But despite that, cricket it's important or, to... Cricket or politics? <laughs> Sorry? Uh, cricket or politics? <laughs> uh, well, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> no, no, his well, cricket like time was way before me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even born then. Right. Um, but no, anyway, the point is that despite that, we need to be careful with idolizing anybody because on Twitter I saw someone uh, writing a caption alongside his photo and the caption was a verse of the Holy Quran from Surah Yusuf. And Surah Yusuf is a story of how um, the seductress Zuleikha um, tried to seduce Yusuf, alayhi salam, the prophet. And uh, that verse that was uh, quoted was exactly that where she's, she's saying that I tried to seduce him, but, you know, he, um, he stood firm and, and whatnot. Mm. And then the picture of Imran Khan was there, trying to depict that he was trying to be seduced by the West and he stood firm. Right. Now, even if that was the case, yeah. right, we cannot compare him to... A prophet. a prophet, because no. Yusuf alayhi salam was masuman al khata. He was innocent from any faults in his past and future because he was a prophet. Mm. Imran Khan had girlfriends and wives. Uh, you know, uh, he had his past. A flowery life. That, that yeah, yeah. I'm not judging him. I'm not. Yeah. Ju all I'm saying is that we just cannot sure. make that comparison. No, no, thank you very much for that input. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Sheikh Rahman, we're just uh, I, looking. I, at, go on. I heard what what has just been said. Yeah. But having said that. I think what Imran Khan's uh, folly has also been that he used the religious card in many, many ways. Yes. And that, I think, is also one of the reasons. I mean, there are many follies, but, you know, you weigh them against what he's done for the country mm. in a short span of time is just amazing. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but again, uh, you know, with the experience, he, he's never been in government, so he hasn't had that experience of governance, which of course he was getting better at as time went on. Yeah. You cannot reform the country which has been steeped, deep-rooted in corruption, injustices, and falsehood for so many years. You cannot, make, you cannot wave a magic wand and correct those situations. So he was slowly getting to a point where all of these were being slowly being corrected and, and, and I'm sure that had he remained in power and had he and he was he was a certain to get elected again, I'm sure that a lot of these injustices would have been corrected. But uh, he pre his uh, presidency, he when he was asked questions about the Ahmadiyya community, he often said that he would speak for the rights of the minorities. Uh, and give them the freedom uh, uh, and safety. But under his presidency, 
Under his prime minister. Under his prime minister, sorry. Not only did he not do that, but people like Atif Mia was going to be promoted that he was going to bring him on board. Uh, he certainly backtracked from that because it was t- it turned out that he was an Ahmadi and that the mullahs turned on him. Uh, and the mullahs do that by getting the public to go against him. And then the persecution of Ahmadis is probably amongst the severest under any prime minister during Imran Khan's time. So um, the Ahmadi community has suffered a lot under him. Yes, that is true. Um, he did backtrack on... Um, not on the position of minorities, because remember, he facilitated the... Qatar the, corridor uh, for the Sikhs. Yes, corridor between, between um, for, for Bhavanana. That's right. And so on and so forth. But, yes, I agree with the, with the question. Uh, when the question of the Ahmadiyya community was raised, uh, whether it was post or, or, or pre, mm-hmm. he always had... Um, I mean, his pre-situation was very democratic, very liberal, and so on and so forth. His post-situation was a, a lot of leaning towards the um, to, towards the teachings of Islam, and unfortunately, he forgot this one very basic teaching of Islam that everybody has a has a right to live and a right to exercise their own beliefs and and faith, and he forgot. What Qaeda Azam had talk, had said at, at the at the inaugural session of the 11th of August 1947, where he said, "You're free to go to your gurdwaras, to your mosques, to your places of worship, and so on and so forth." Um, yes, it's it, it's a sad situation with IK mm. that he actually did not um, protect that decision of it, but he did a lot of U-turns, and I said maybe because of his lack of lack of um, uh, his his lack of him in, uh, being in in a governance situation because mm-hmm. he's all opposition. Yeah, in this in this environment, current environment, is yes. it fair to say that any leader who will support the Ahmadiyya Muslim cause will suffer? Yes, that's yes. a sad indictment, isn't it? Very sad. It's it's because. Because that is principally against the teachings of Islam, hmm. which they band about every day of the week, 24-7, 365 days a year. Totally contrary to the Riyasat and Medina, which they keep or, or, to, to keep talking about that, which is what they right. want to impose. Totally opposing that. Right. Absolutely, yes. In the Riyasat and Medina, the Jews and the Christians and the non-believers all were able to practice whatever they wanted without fear. Unless those, uh, they, unless they attacked the Muslims or the Holy Prophet, the example of the Prophet Muhammad, who is the founder of the religion of Islam. Mm. Why aren't you following his teachings in this respect? Mm. You know, why are you being selective about it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it all in essence. Uh, Sheikh Rahman, uh, last word on what do you think the future of Pakistan is and the future of Imran Khan? Um, I think a little bit grim. Considering the present environment, um, I mean, also the appointment of the new interim prime minister who's come out of some woodwork somewhere. <laughs> um, I, I think um, elections 
if they're not held within the 90 day which the constitution provides which of course were not held because the, the this government ruled for another one and a half year mm. if the elections are not held in a free and fair manner um, then there are going to be very massive problems for the country including and i hope it doesn't come to that a disintegration of the country itself as as happened in 1971 because if the military starts taking action against its own people mm. that is going to be a major disaster unfortunately isn't it a pity that pakistan when it was created became the light star or the star of the old na- many nations where yes. they even chose the united nations even chose its president from a country yes. that had only recently been born and yes. now it is seen as a pariah state unfortunately yes May- we, all we all we need to do is remember pakistan and pray fervently that may god change the hearts and minds of people mm. that it survives this this whole period now yeah. and really what what the what qaid azam the founder of the nation actually envisaged for this country mm. let's hope that that is what it becomes indeed i meant to that uh, thank you very much shekhar for joining us and sharing your thoughts and views and giving your opinions on the political situation of pakistan thank you so much for having me zakarullah uh, just one comment from you pakistan uh, i just hinted on that that of all the pakistani influence around the world hmm. the two most outstanding standing uh aspects of pakistan mm-hmm. are of two individuals and right. both are ahmadis professor abdul salam mm-hmm. the only pakistani to win a nobel prize for intellectual or i.e. physics yeah and jodri zafrullah khan who became not a representative of the united nations for pakistan but became was elected as a president he won absolute record number of accolades from arab countries uh, believe am i right yes yes yeah. and then not only became <clears throat> he became the president of uh, the world international J- court international of justice, court of justice. Mm. Mm. yeah and the foreign minister first foreign For, minister being a foreign minister of pakistan well. right yeah. and uh, those two people's name are almost being wiped out of history books it's Or attempts are being made attempts are being made but it's it's a uh, It's funny because as much as Pakistanis or um these radical uh, Muslims are trying to eradicate the names of those two um there seems to be a counter balance as well counterweight the west is acknowledging mm-hmm. for example Dr Abdul Salam's sahib's uh, contributions to science right mm-hmm. they're opening up um, whole wards and uh, Imperial, sections Imperial College has uh, has named one of its, one of its wings or something yeah. after exactly. him as well exactly and, and, Yeah. So I mean, this is not a mean task. No, I mean, Imperial no, College of no. uh, most probably yeah. the most renowned yeah. scientific yes. university in the world. Yeah, yeah. So in that regard, personally, I'm I'm never worried that their names would ever be forgotten or anything because the torchbearers of whatever field they stood for, so intellectualism, scientists, or whatever, mm. science, whatever, right? Those torchbearers they are carrying on the legacy. Right. Thank you very much uh, for those that positive thought. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's hope uh, that uh, Pakistan's history goes back to the days it was when it was first created. Inshallah. Right, Willie, let's mm. move on. Uh, ask the Imam. 
let me start off with a verse from the Holy Quran, chapter 74, verse 39. Now, the question is, uh, Daniel, for you, that if every soul will earn whatever it has earned, one question that often is misunderstood is the idea of divine providence, also known as divine decree or hmm. predestination. Yeah. In that everything has already been decreed by the Creator from eternity, has troubled theologians and philosophers for centuries, this, this thought. The, the sixth, this is the sixth article of uh, Islam in, 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 in Islam. Faith, yeah. um, Belief in Allah, belief in angels, belief in books, belief in angels, belief in the last day, and then the sixth one, divine decree. Divine decree. Yeah. Um, Muslims believe that divine decree controls the eventual outcome of all actions in this universe. It is the law or measure of a thing with regard to its own growth and development. In the Holy Quran, the term is explained as universal law of Allah, which is working through the whole of creation, extending throughout the universe within the boundaries of divine decree. This is the important thing, that everything works within the boundaries of divine decree. Yes. But man is given free will. Yeah. Now, how can this can be? You know, these are they appear to be contrary. Everything's predetermined, but every but man has free will. Yeah. So how can we reconcile the two apparently contradictory facts that Allah has absolute power and sovereignty over all creation, and that at the same time we are responsible for our actions? Are we forced to do this? What do we do? Or are our choices meaningful? Well, the way to reconcile this is firstly to make a distinction between um, two different concepts. One concept is um, the fact that someone knows, having the knowledge of something, right? And the second one being coercing someone to do something, right? These are two concepts which have kind of been conflated over the centuries, mm -hmm. over the millennia, where we've come to a point where people now have this question, right? And, and rightly so, it's, it's not the easiest... Um, topic to understand um, uh, for even scholars you know struggle to sometimes get their point across with this but if we mix those two then it seems like God has the knowledge of everything that we will do and he's also coerced in that because of having the knowledge he is also coercing us to do um, those acts right but a simple analogy I believe um, would clarify this let's take a teacher as an example a teacher has a lot of knowledge and experience and the teacher um, instructs their students, according his or her student, according to um, you know their knowledge and everything. So they're teaching those students. Now in that class, there, there are going to be uh, good performing students, and there are going to be ones who struggle, right? But the teacher um, has the knowledge to to instruct them and is instructing them. Mm. Now, however they choose, whatever the students choose to do, whether to work hard or to just chill and relax, right? it will breed a certain outcome. Right. And the teacher knows, right, that this student, say, Asan Saib, is working very hard. The teacher knows this person will get an A star. That has never happened, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not telling you. We'll leave you guys out. <laughs> no, no, it will. It will. In the future. Oh, in the future. Right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Oh. <laughs> you can sit your GCSEs independently. <laughs> you can redo them. <laughs> Prove my statement right. <laughs> so, but on the other hand, you know, the teacher would also know that if... I myself, um, Daniel, I'm not working hard, then my result would not be great, right? I, I might get an E or an F or something, right? And it's the same with 
predestination and divine decree. God Almighty has the knowledge, right? But he's not forcing or coercing anyone to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. He's given uh, the universe a set of laws, right? Um, just like the teacher gives the students instructions when they're teaching them. And when we have those set of laws, it is down to us to decide whether we want to act in a certain way or not. God knows exactly what outcome will, will be will, will be our outcome at the end of it. Um, but it still depends on our actions. That outcome depends on our actions. We do have the free will to make to make that choice. We do have the free will to work hard and get that A star or to just chill and relax and, you know, get get an E or an F. Okay. And I thought that might be the easiest analogy. Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, your thought on that? Oh, but I, I think the, the solution is that you have to understand that God is outside time. So God is not within time. So the, the fact that he has knowledge of what has happened before and what is going to be happening in the future yeah. does not mean that he is responsible for for, the, for that but he knows what is going to happen he is outside time yeah so um i don't think it's a, it's a case of uh, getting a complicated analogy of teacher and pupil he knows because he's outside he can see everything uh, within no but the, if god can see that yeah. How does the, how does that impact on the individual? The individual has chosen mm-hmm. to do what he has mm-hmm. within the framework of time. Yeah. But God is outside it. He knows what is at the beginning of time, what is at the end of time. Mm-hmm. He knows everything. The, th- the thing is, you're correct. Just because himself. he knows it yes. doesn't mean he's responsible for your action as to what you did. Exactly, because if a, if, that a time, person, if a person commits a good deed or, an, or a bad deed, then God manifests the result of that, right? He knows what will happen, but... Once a person has committed a deed, be it good or bad, then God manifests that result, right? Oh. And your your point about time is correct as well because humans um, see time in a linear fashion, right? Mm. We see it from you know the past yeah. to the future, and God Almighty is outside of space and time according to our understanding. Yeah. So that point is correct as well, right? And that goes hand in hand with this point mm. as well. That uh, 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 another understanding uh, is from an incident of one of the companions, I believe. It could have been Hazrat Ali. I'm not sure. Uh, that he once was riding his horse and he came to a rest point. And he wanted some rest, so he tied up his horse and asked mm. someone to look after the horse. Mm. Yeah, it was Azad Ali. It was yeah. Azad yeah, Ali? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do correct if any no. of my narration no. is wrong. No. No. And uh, he asked the, uh, someone nearby to look after the horse. Now, Azad Ali has already intended that I would give him some money for looking after this. When he came out after his rest, the, whole, the saddle of this horse had gone. Mm. Um, Azad Ali was a bit despondent about it, but nevertheless, he, he, he rode on and came to a, a close-by market and saw his saddle being sold. And uh, he bought the saddle and asked the seller how much did he sell it for, or how much did he buy it for, mm. uh, for no other reason, just to know. And it was the same amount that he had intended to give to the person to look after the horse. The story of that is that Allah had predetermined for that individual, this is where that predestination comes in, that predetermined what this person was going to get today. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, it was his choice to On earn it to the righteous it. way or the non-righteous way. Exactly. And to me, that is the understanding of the difference between creation of other animals and human beings. That humans are given that choice to do, to determine what becomes of them, either a good way or a bad way, right or wrong, yeah. good or bad. And Whereas yeah. animals do not have that choice. Yeah. They just do things. When, an, when, an, uh, 
a lion attacks a cub of a different animal or a calf of an animal, it doesn't think about how what the mother will feel about it. Or when mm. he attacks the mother, he doesn't think what, the, what will become of her. He does it because it's, it's the right thing for him because he wants food. Whereas we would not do that. This is why the animal rights are very prominent in human. <laughs> so that's my understanding of predestination as one example. Yeah, it's Would a, it be a fair one? It's a fair one and it's a good example because that reminds me of another example from the Companions of the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And this is with Umar, عنه, the second caliph. And he, at the time of his caliphate, he was out on an expedition with an army and they were close to a place where plague had broken out. And he had decided to turn back and return to Medina rather than going into that place of plague. And one of the companions um, asked him, are you running away from the from the decree of Allah? Saying that, you know, it's supposed to happen, whatever's supposed to happen. Are we really going to turn back? Let's just carry on. And whatever's supposed to happen will happen. And Umar anhu replied with, I'm running away from one decree of Allah to the other decree of Allah. Right. So, you know, it's it's that it's choice. It's that choice. Then. Yeah, it's yeah. that choice that turns out to be well, the decree of Allah. A fair assessment of that discussion? Yeah, I can't dispute that. No, no I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's fair. Okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. I hope we have helped our listeners understand what decree yeah. means. Mm. But just because... Allah has decreed something on us as human beings because with, he has given us a soul and a thought process. We must use that to uh, reach the ultimate end, either through good actions or through bad actions. Yeah, God has decreed this, that if yeah. you do such so and so, then the result will be so and so. Right, but then He's also given you options. Yes, that whatever you want to do. And and do. unlike angels, mm. who are, who can only do good. Yeah. They don't have a choice of doing bad. They can only do good. This is the lesson we learn from the Adam and Eve story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that when Allah says, I will send you a vicegerent, and, and uh, the, the, the angels, uh, all the angels accepted, except Iblis. Iblis, therefore, is not an angel because he couldn't have refused. He, he yeah. wouldn't be within his vicinity. But we do. Yeah, and that's why we are called in the Quran, Ashraf al Makhluqat, the best of creation. Best of creation. Because we. We're, let's look at it, this in, a, in another perspective. Investments, right? Mm. Um, everyone knows that high risk can also potentially high lead to loss. high benefit, right? Mm. Or high loss, or, or high right? Loss, yeah. Either either outcome yeah, yeah. can can be, um, you know, you can come to either outcome. And it's the same with humans. We have that free will and we will either get rewarded for it or we will be punished um, because of the choices that we make, mm. right? Um, and that's why we are the best of creation because making a, a good choice and being rewarded rewarded mm. for it is a lot harder when you have a choice to make, right? Angels don't have a choice to make, mm. so they do whatever they need to do. We do whatever we choose to do, Indeed. and then we get rewarded. I mean, this punished. philosophy is very deep, and there's so mm. much to it. Mm. Uh, you can even discuss why gambling is harmful to you. Like, they could, like you just said, it can have benefits, but the, the, yeah. the harm is much greater or to, or to the overall society, and therefore why it's forbidden, etc. Okay, uh, uh, shall we move on? Move on, yeah, yeah, move on, yeah. yeah uh, is that decreed? <laughs> <laughs> that answer was decreed. What does God mean when he says, Allah has set a seal on their hearts? In Surah Baqarah, the chapter 2, verse 8. Has God decided such a person's fate? From, from you know, Meaning he can't change it now. Yeah. He's going to do the bad thing that he's going to do. From, from the first look, it seems like that's what it means, right? Mm. But then we have to remember that everything has a context, right? Mm. Every verse in the Holy Quran has a context. If we were to take a single 
word from a, from a verse of the Quran, right? Say qatl, right? Killing, right? And we just take that word and we say, oh no, the Quran says killing. It would be completely incorrect because we don't look at what it's referring to, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so we we need to basically look at the contents context, which is the verse preceding it and the verse succeeding oh, it, right? Yeah. And um, uh, the verse preceding is oh, the verse preceding it is. That those people who persist in disbelief, mm-hmm. it does not matter if you warn them or don't warn them. And then it says, it's on them that the heart has been sealed. Exactly. Um, because they're not there. We were talking about Abu Jahl. Yeah. Earlier, right? Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then the verse succeeding, it says, mm-hmm. بِمُؤْمِنِين is those people who say that we believe in Allah, right? But they don't actually believe. So we've got the verse preceding it referring to disbelievers and the verse succeeding it referring to hypocrites, right? It's those type of people who persist in whatever they're doing or who are hypocrites and they know that they are hypocrites. Um, it's on their hearts that a seal has been set. And... The question is, okay, why would God set a seal on their hearts, right? Even if they persisted in, in disbelief, God could have just kept their hearts open to potentially find the right way. Another analogy, I hope Alita um, mm-hmm. likes this one a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. I don't want to name drop, but I, I take these an- analogies from our <laughs> our um, elders, from okay. <laughs> our leaders. <laughs> um, uh, I'm not smart enough to come up with these analogies. <laughs> so uh, one analogy presented is that a human decides whether to open or close a door to his house, right? Once a human decides to close a door to the door to his house, it is God who um, causes darkness to overcome that house. It is God who uh, who then, as a result of that action, causes light to not enter that house, right? But it's, it's a human himself who had closed that door himself, right? And it's the same with the heart. If a human closes the door of his heart, then God won't let that light shine in. Mm. Then only darkness will prevail in that heart, right? As long as that door is closed. Because, again, we do need to remember um, that God Almighty uh, is is most forgiving. Um, because the point is that the reason I say that the human has closed the, the door to his heart is because another verse of the Holy Quran actually testifies to this, which is, And the translation is, it means that when they adopted crookedness, God made them crooked. So God only made them crooked once they had adopted crookedness themselves, right? That's in Surah Saf, mm-hmm. right? Um, but God is not such because a being... our belief, unlike a Christian belief, is that we are born sinless, yeah. so for, therefore we have not committed any sins until we put it upon ourselves to take upon a sin. Exactly, yeah. Um, and God Almighty uh, is not such that he can't remove the seal once he has set a seal. So it's not like that God has set that seal and that's it for the rest of your life. And your eternal afterlife afterwards, you you are a disbeliever, you're burning in hell and whatnot, right? Because then another verse of the Holy Quran says, That surely he is most forgiving to those who turn to him again and again. Surah Bani Israel. And who are the people who turn to God again and again? It's the ones who constantly sin, right? Mm-hmm. It's the ones who are constantly um, fighting their own um, inner voice. and in, in, in a jihad. In a jihad, uh, exactly. Jihad exactly. And the only way to... Have a, a, a jihad in nafs is when you are struggling in, in some regard, right? You are sometimes slipping into minor sins or major sins. It doesn't matter, right? Um, but the fact is that God will forgive those people who keep coming back towards him. So for those who on, on, on which the door has been closed, yeah. those upon whom the heart has been sealed, yeah. why has God not allowed their hearts to be opened? 
that's why? Because if he's the, the merciful, yes, then ultimately God will forgive them, won't he? He will ultimately forgive them. There's no doubt about that. Um, we, our belief, the Ahmadiyya belief is anyway that even those who end up in the hellfire, eventually a day will come when hell will be empty, meaning that every single person, every single soul will end up in paradise eventually. Um, it's more of, of purgatory than, than the um, more commonly believed concept of hell here in the West, right? Although we don't believe in purgatory. We don't believe in purgatory, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, but no, the, the, the point is that God... Again, God. First of all, God Almighty wasn't the one who put that seal on the person without that person um, committing an act for God to do that. Mm. God only manifested that result in in accordance with the action committed by that human. Right. right. So it's the human's fault first and foremost for choosing um, such actions which cause that seal to be put on their heart. And then secondly, why doesn't God just open up that seal? That was um, just answered with with that. That if if a person the way to to get rid of that seal is to turn to God Almighty, right? Mm-hmm. The way not to drown, right, is to float or to swim, right? You can't just be drowning and be like, yeah, God, you give you me oxygen, man. Yeah, you effort, put the armbands on or the rubber band or yeah. whatever it is. Yeah, you have to do something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to do some action. Yeah, right? exactly. So, so that, is the, that is what is inherent in a human body, yeah. in a human mind. That yeah. They've got to make an effort yeah, to whatever to. they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and, and whether it's right or wrong, they cho- they, it's their choice. Yeah. Uh, to do so. As a verse of the Holy Quran testifies, Laysa lil insani illa masa'ah, that there is nothing for a human except for what he strives for. Mm-hmm. That could be good or bad, right? Whatever you strive for is what. This is, I believe, that Islam teaches the, the fairest um, model of predestination or divine decree of any religion. Because it doesn't just say that you are born and God had already decided what you're doing. And it doesn't just say that God completely abandons you, right? It says that you're born. God had said that God had given you a set of laws, right? And if you act in accordance to whatever um, choice you make, you will get a certain result, right? God has already decided that if you make this choice, then you get that result. But he hasn't decided what you will do. You have decided that. For me, Hmm. predestination is the fundamental belief for an individual to lead him to understand God exists. And for God to exist, predestination must be a fundamental part of that understanding. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a two-way thing for me. It's a very important principle of article of faith, I, I believe, mm-hmm. that we must uh, uh, sort of comprehend. Mm. But I think what we're trying to do here is to understand what that predestination is. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Okay. And if you explain it well, you'll yeah. understand God. Mm. And if you believe in God, you'll understand predestination anyway. Mm. Yeah? Exactly, because what's the point of believing in a God or what's the point of a God who doesn't know what we're about to do? Absolutely. Right? That means he's not all-knowing, all-powerful. Exactly. Right? He's a weak God. And exactly. It's yeah. just pointless then. Uh, no, absolutely. Uh, that, that explains it very well. Thank you very much. Uh, we sometimes don't give enough time to this section. No, you know? yes. We I can. think we, we need to reschedule our show. I know. So I had another can. analogy to give him. But yes, anyway, I know. Same, one, but same uh, here. But, but, <laughs> but can, can uh, we carry on with this discussion next show? Of course. Yeah, 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 yeah there's a lot more to discuss. There's a lot more to mm, discuss. Yeah. So... Next show, we'll carry on with this discussion. Let's do this. Uh, yeah. And there's, there's more to discuss. Please save your analogy for then, Valita. Okay, I really fine. want to hear it now. Okay, <laughs> no, no, I've got a I nice think... one as well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I hope I remember it. Right, let's move on. I believe Premiership is back. I know. Normality. Uh, normality is back. <laughs> At last. Uh, and Shahid Khan is back as well, oh, I believe. Assalamu alaikum, Shahid. Shahid, can you hear us? 
Yes, I can. Yes, welcome back. You, you, Waleed's eyes lit up when we mentioned the Premiership, uh-huh. as as I mentioned your name as well. <laughs> <laughs> they've been lit up. They've been lit up since Friday. Yeah, they really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Friday. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, Arsenal beating Nottingham Forest two one on the Friday, Indeed. and That's and right. some uh, very good results yesterday. Uh, the stall has been set. Would you say? Oh, that's right. I mean, as uh, it was alluded to the fact that um, normality has really come back. Uh, it is built, be, being built as a greater show on earth. And uh-huh. for the next nine months, I think more or less, starting mm-hmm. from Friday night, as you said, until May, uh, the show goes on. So, I mean, there's been a lot of changes and all the rest of it. And like you said, that some good results and some unexpected results yesterday. Mm-hmm. But on Friday... And the triple champions, in fact, the triple holders, uh, came back in the usual uh, form straight away, beating Burnley, the team that had been promoted. And, so, yes, there's games like I think they're the closest one, perhaps Arsenal, unlike some people's thinking, Nottingham Forest were the promoted side. Uh, but Arsenal were two and winners, and Newcastle were one of the more fancy teams as well this season who might want mm. to be pushing the other two, maybe, uh, had a something victory of 5 1 as well. Indeed. So Everton starting off losing at home to Fulham. I mean, these are some of the things that might have been carried on for previous lists. But there has been a lot of changes <clears throat> and let the show continue. Indeed. And uh, uh, Erlen Haaland is uh, back on the scoring. <laughs> is he going to top the charts again with this season with the, with the record number of goals? Looks by the, looks by the sound the way he started. He just takes everything uh, as if he's uh, really in his own forefront at the moment. And uh, this has been the case in every club that he's played for in the past as well. Uh, he just keeps on going and going. And the way he took those goals on on Friday was uh, nothing out of the ordinary for him, to be honest with you. And it's just something that we've just come to expect of him. And he's just continuing that. And I think all kinds of records might be being broken again this year. Hmm. Shahid, you know, Kane has uh, gone to Bayern Munich, <laughs> threatening, to, threatening to come back uh, to, uh, to uh, surpass uh, Alan Shearer's record. Do you think that by the time he comes back, Haaland would have done it already? Surpassed Alan Shearer's record. I well, I think as to how long it, it, for him to come back is another mm. matter because I think that might be. By the moment, I think he's got a, perhaps a long-term uh, record for the moment, at least uh, surpassed Alan Shearer's. Uh, but having said that, I mean coming back to clubs has never been a great thing, or coming back to the Premiership for that matter. Uh, it's difficult, and it's, it's something that uh, if he's only coming back for the record, it's uh, just uh, academic, to be honest with you. Hmm. So what about today's matches? Uh, the big clash between uh, the two, um, I suppose, uh, top, uh, top clubs, uh, Chelsea and Liverpool. How do you think that's going to be uh, faring out? Well, after last season, Chelsea, I don't think, could be considered a top club anymore. I mean, hmm. uh, obviously, they've got a new manager in Pochettino, who's quite a good manager, but... I think these early days, and to judge just on the one game might be difficult, but also that leads also to the fact that Liverpool also had these changes, and also it will be interesting to see how they actually fare today. And the opening game sometimes does do, uh, give us track record for the future mm. as well. They didn't uh, get Casado, did they? No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's do you think they yeah. suffer? <laughs> no, I think they're also missing out on that as well. But mm. the the uh, transfers as they have gone, I mean, uh, the fact that I mean, Bayern lost three top players um, and even, that, no, sorry, Leipzig in, their, in the way that they just transferred out to the Premiership and mm. even then they keep on, they had that victory. So it's early days in terms of actual teams setting up. 
but nevertheless, having said that, I mean, you mentioned Kane, the fact that he came on in a game like that, where he lost as well. Mm. Uh, just to put people into that position is quite difficult, and not having even seen, or not having just met the people in passing, and then just come onto the field and expect the same from them, mm-hmm. it's quite difficult. And Tottenham, Kane, without Kane, how do you think they'll do today? Tottenham, I think, are going to be a mid-table club, to be honest with you, again, or I say again, but having missed on Champions League, that sometimes, in European football, to be honest with you, after a long time, mm. it might be in their, uh, to their advantage. I mean, some people do mention that all these three games, and that you need to have the kind, right kind of squads and all that, and they don't have it. And so they are going to be relying on some of the players. Rich Allison probably has to step up, but his injury record isn't that great. So I think with the new team formation, it will be interesting with a new manager as well. So it will be all to play for at Tottenham. Uh, Shahid, we've only got 15 seconds. Pakistan not qualifying for the Olympics again, is that right? In no, hockey? that's not correct. No, okay. that's not correct. I, the Champions Trophy is only, uh, it wasn't, it's an academic competition to be honest okay. with you. It's top six Asian names, but they've still got a qualifier. It will be very much more difficult for them to qualify. The Asian Games winners ne- next month will signify the top team to win, and then they also have a qualifier in Lahore, in fact, of all the places. But it's going to be a lot more difficult for them to qualify. Right. Thank you very much. Sorry we didn't have time for more.